Welcome to Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow the musical journey of an amateur piano player who's striving to play advanced level works one day. Specifically, Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is where the podcast gets its name. Every week, we break down one of the pieces that I encounter along the road to this goal, ranging from the 18th century all the way up to modern day. We'll explore the history surrounding the work, examine the music within, and hopefully we all walk away a little more informed and appreciative of classical music. This is episode 23.4, the fourth and final episode in a series where we have been listening to examples of some dreamy French music around the turn of the 20th century by some of the biggest names in the genre. And I couldn't imagine closing out a series on some of the most famous names in French music without doing an episode on one of the most famous pieces across the entire classical music catalog. This is probably the most well-known piece that we've discussed on this podcast since the very first episode on Fur Elise. Today, we're going to talk about one of the shining pillars of the Impressionist movement, Claude Debussy's Claire de Lune. But before we start breaking down this prominent work, let's learn a little bit more about the life of Claude Debussy. Debussy was born in the year 1862 in a small town several miles outside of Paris. Unlike a lot of other composers, his childhood would not have predicted a successful career in music. He did not start piano lessons until he was around nine years old, which was late for an often described musical genius. Despite his father's best efforts to get him to join the Navy, Debussy enrolled in the Paris Conservatoire. But unlike his peer Ravel, who struggled with winning awards and contests. Debussy won three. During his schooling, Debussy took a formative trip to Russia, where he experienced works by young progressive composers. He savored that exotic Eastern European musical style, breaking all the rules of traditional harmony that he learned at his conservative school. Debussy took this rebellious spirit back home with him, believing he had nothing more to learn from his classes on harmony at the conservatory. So he just skipped them, giving himself a reputation as an insurgent. Despite his disobedience, he went on to win several more major compositional prizes. What's that famous phrase again, a well-behaved woman never makes history, or something like that? Well, Debussy's a shining example of that, you know, aside from the being a woman part. Debussy's reputation and non-conventional music stirred its first controversy when his orchestral suite, Printem, was denounced by the French government. Debussy's loyal fan base, including that artistic outcast group that we talked about last week, the Hooligans, fiercely defended him on the front lines of this culture war. The government's attempt at censorship did little to impede Debussy's rise to fame. Debussy was regarded as the finest composer since Chopin. Debussy was to the 20th century as Chopin was to the 19th. Nobody else had managed to discover new ways to express such a spectrum of colors and textures on the piano. His unique harmonies and styles were reflected throughout all of his solo piano works, and to put it plainly, and I mean this as a compliment, you just know a piece is written by Debussy when you hear it. 
And also like Chopin, the work of Debussy's that stands out amongst the rest is his set of 24 preludes. They express a gamut of tones and stretch the capabilities of what the piano can achieve, but they all abide by a rule of beautiful simplicity. Debussy once wrote, As a general rule, each time that, in art, someone thinks of complicating a form or a sentiment, it means that he does not know what he wants to say. Debussy's most famous piano piece is also the one we're going to talk about today, Claire de Lune, or Moonlight. It might be surprising to learn that Claire de Lune is not actually a standalone piece, but it's the third movement of Debussy's Sweet Bergamasque. The other movements consist of a prelude and two dances, so this is the slower, more expressive movement of the work. Its title and inspiration were drawn from a poem of the same name by Paul Verlaine. An excerpt. <clears throat> With the calm moonlight, sad and lovely, which makes the birds dream in the trees, and the plumes of the fountains weep in ecstasy, the tall, slender plumes of the fountains among the marble sculptures. I guess if your goal is to write dreamy French music, then you might as well be inspired by a poem that references both dreaming birds and crying trees. You know, I never read this poem before, but it immediately makes me think about the finale of the modern George Clooney version of Ocean's Eleven, where after the successful heist, the guys line up at the fountains of the Bellagio and walk off one by one. And what song plays in the background, you might ask? A majestic, sweeping, orchestral version of Claire de Lune. I wonder if anyone in the production team of that movie made the connection that the poem the piece was based on references fountains. Either way, it remains one of cinema's most memorable musical moments. A perfect marriage of image to sound. But Ocean's Eleven is just one of the many, many uses of Claire de Lune in pop culture. It's been widely used across movies and TV, including, but certainly not limited to, Twilight, Seven Years in Tibet, Atonement, Pleasantville, Ren and Stimpy, Nip Tuck, Man on Fire, Giant, Casino Royale, a Chanel No. 5 commercial featuring Nicole Kidman, and in my personal favorite modern usage, in the latest Best Picture winner, Everything Everywhere, All at Once, where Jamie Lee Curtis plays this piece with her feet, as her hands are made of hot dogs. It may sound absurd, but just see the movie. Claire de Lune was also a top contender for inclusion in Disney's original Fantasia, but it was cut to keep the runtime down. The segment can be seen in later releases of the film, and it's set in the Florida Everglades at night. Judging by its prolific spread across pop culture for over a century, this is obviously a widely beloved, well-recognized piece of music that has withstood the test of time. Debussy originally wrote Sweet Bergamasque in 1890, but he considered the work too juvenile to release. 
Once Debussy rose to fame, however, his publisher encouraged him to release the work in 1905. Debussy agreed, but not before some heavy editing work, including changing the original title of this piece from Promenade Sentimentale to Claire de Lune. Nobody can really say the extent of Debussy's musical editing at the time, so perhaps he wrote a majority of Claire de Lune in 1890, or maybe he reworked it so much 15 years later that it's essentially a brand new work. It's written in the key of D-flat major, the key of depression. Rapture and sadness, a grimacing key of choking back tears, capable of a laugh or smile to pacify those around, but the truth is in despair. Despite that description, I wouldn't call Claire Luna a depressing piece. It readily elicits an emotional response, sure, possibly even tears in the right setting. Remember, this is Impressionism after all, so this piece is meant to portray a palpable sense of imagery, specifically a moonlit night. W.C. writes the piece in the ternary form of A.B.A., the A section contains the main theme. Debussy once wrote that music can be found in the space between the notes, and that idea couldn't be more apparent than within this section, containing one of the most beautiful melodies in the history of music. Section A ends with a series of building chords, providing a dramatic rise and tension within the piece. This section culminates in a release of cathartic rolled chords. It's also my favorite part, because it's the closest I'll ever get to playing a harp. Section B is where the piece really takes off. Debussy takes that idea of the music in between notes, and he throws it right out the window, making the left hand rapidly cascade up and down arpeggios, while the right hand leads with a simple melody. This section ebbs and flows, and climaxes in a cascade of notes like a rushing waterfall. And at the end of this section, we have a beautiful harmonic moment that modulates us right back to our home key of D-flat major, and it reintroduces the main theme in a return to the A section. Then, to close the piece out, Debussy reintroduces those running arpeggios from section B and drifts them upwards as the piece 
floats away like clouds in the night. This is Claire de Lune by Claude Debussy.
Paris in the 1900s. What a time and what a place for music. You know, we spend an awful lot of time talking about the past in this podcast, so I thought we should try something radically different. In the next series, I'm actually going to be talking with some contemporary composers and discuss their experience writing music during the pandemic. And I'll do my best not to offend them and try my own hand at some of their work. (laughs) I had a lot of fun doing this, and I think you'll enjoy listening to it too. So tune in next time for a series called Music in the Time of COVID. Talk to you then. You can find the standalone recordings of the piece we discussed today directly in the podcast feed. Check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for all of the tracks heard on this podcast and more. You can find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody or email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher and consider rating or reviewing. It's also the easiest way to never miss a new episode and it helps the podcast gain more visibility. Thanks as always for your time and your ears. And remember, the piano keys are black and white, but they sound like a million colors in your mind.